to Friars on the Farm podcast. My name is Donovan Jones, and all my rowdy friends have settled down. And I'm here with Roy, recently married, betrothed Roy. Why, thank you. Donovan, you are in a great mood today. I am in a fantastic mood. Um, it is the end of a fantastic season. Um, and things are well, you know, my uh, all my rowdy friends are settling down. Yeah, well, it's Patino settling down for the end of the year. Chris Paddock is settling down. Oh. It's nice to see these guys have a great season and then finish healthy. Absolutely. And that will and that reminds me, the breaking news is that last night running out of a grand infield grounder, Luis Urias pulls a hammy. Yeah. And Apparently he, today he was walking around without crutches, without a boot or anything like that. So he, he's okay, but yeah. they've said that they they don't expect him to play for the rest of the year. Right, and then a hammy is gonna a hammy is gonna do that for at least a ten days you know ten day list. Yeah, and and with someone who's you know had the season that he's had, they've seen enough. We know that he will be. Uh, in the running for the second base job next year. It's his job, unless somebody, unless something weird happens. Yeah, it should be his job. I wonder if he'll play winter ball or anything like that. That would be interesting to know. I don't know if there's anything for him to prove at this point. He yeah. kind of just needs to start seeing competition at the higher level. Absolutely. And with that injury, I would think the, the team would say, hey, just take, take the rest of the season off. Here's a program. Here's what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back strong. Um, Meanwhile, though, Fernando Tatis Jr. would probably play winter ball because he missed that last month, two months of the season. Yes. Um, and he wasn't announced on the Javelinas, um, the fall Arizona Fall League right, roster. Right, Because there was talk that maybe he'd play fall ball. Yeah. But it sounds like he'll be a winter ball guy. And, and, that's, and that's fine. Just let him go. Then we'll have plenty to talk about over the winter. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, but so, that, yeah, yeah, I kind of skirted around your news. Yes, I got yeah. married. Angela and I went to Maui, and we got married with our toes in the sand, just the two of us and our efficient and stuff, uh, but no family. We'll have another ceremony later with family and stuff, but we had a wonderful, amazing, best week ever in Maui. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. I can't wait to go back. It's freaking yeah. awesome. I've, I've never been. Uh, I used to work for a hotel that has nine hotels out there, and... I could never afford, to, I could never have the discipline to save the money to go up there. And Lydia always tells me, like, oh, we got to go to Hawaii. I'm like, I, I don't, ah, okay, but it's not on the first on the list. But to get married in Hawaii, dude, that's a dream come true. It was. And it the, was. the photographs, you guys, are just fantastic. And I know everyone, um, you know, is, is happy you guys are both married. That's for sure <laughs> on Padres Twitter. Um, but we're here to talk about minor league baseball. Yeah. And, and the end of the season starting um, with batting leadoff. Logan Allen was named Texas Pitcher of the Year, Texas League Pitcher of the Year. He had a 2.75 ERA and 121 innings with a 125-38 K to base on ball ratio and a 10-6 record in AA. Now, in AAA, he was 4-0 with a .82 ERA. Um, fantastic. I mean, just moved up from there, yeah. moved up with more advanced hitters, more advanced competition, and still did pretty well. Yeah, he's probably going to get an invite to spring training next year. And I imagine he's going to figure in the Padres' rotation at some point next year, assuming he stays healthy. It, 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 good point. Oh, man, he just hit that far. Sorry, guys, we're watching the Padre game, and uh, Boomski just hit a solo shot, but that's okay. Uh, Nelson Cruz. I think he's going to be a the pitcher of the uh, – he'll be the pitcher of the organization, minor leagues, uh, Padres minor league system. Mm-hmm. He's a dark horse for the rotation, but Ooh, certainly – Would you take him over Chris Paddock no, and Luis I, Patino? No, 
No, I. But I guess based on the level that he's at. Yes, he's okay. ready. He's he's ready, and we know that five starters don't make a season. And I'm sure soon after oh, yeah. the season starts, the first guy that goes down, any kind of finagling of um of the schedule or the rotation that they have, they'll they'll pencil him in. Oh yeah. And he'll either get a spot start or someone will go down. I mean. We need, what, 12, 13 pitches to get through a season. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of time. Well, look what happened this year with Lucchese and Lauer. I had, yeah. Lamette went down before the season even started. Yeah. And then Lucchese's been in the rotation pretty much all year. Lauer, same kind of thing. What was it when Perdomo yeah, got signed down? Right. And, so, then, and then he's stuck as long as he's been healthy. I mean, he's gone down a couple times with a little injury here or there. But I, they get, got an opportunity. They kind of grasped onto it, and they've stuck. Yeah. So next year, yeah, about 10 starters – and so you could look at that list and come up with a whole bunch of them. But he's definitely high in that list. Absolutely. Uh, so for the Texas League, Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres' number one prospect, and Logan Allen, number eight, and Josh Naylor, number 15, and catcher Austin Allen, the Padres' number 25 top-ranked prospect, was named to the AA Texas League postseason all-star team. That's a lot of that's a lot of mission. That's a lot of lava. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and a lot of this information did come out several weeks ago, but I wanted to um well it got got left on the cutting floor when I did the last episode with Kevin Charity. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh you excellent. I'm just sorry to have wasted like thirty minutes of, of solid <laughs> content that you brought to the program. Uh on top of making me look much better than I really am. Um so you can, we're going to go over this again. A lot of the stuff you do know. Um, moving on to Buddy Reed and Huddy Potts were co-MVPs of the Cal League. Co-MVPs Reg- from the same team. Co-MVPs, yes. Reggie Lawson and Pedro Vila, co-pitchers of the year. I mean, just the talent. You know, all these these guys are all on the radar, all on our, uh, you know, on the on the lava flow, mm-hmm. uh, to lack of a better term. So Pedro Avila, I know I harp on this a lot, but yeah. Pedro Avila is going to be eligible for the Rule Five this year. So yeah. keep an eye on him. He's kind of on the bubble as far as where the Padres are going to move their roster to make room for people. Yeah, I think he strikes out so many guys they're going to have to throw him on there. You got to, even if yeah. you make him a reliever or yeah. what. It's just the consistency is the thing, but the stuff is there. He's had multiple double-digit strikeout games this year. He's so much fun to watch. And yeah. he's just electric when he's on. Absolutely. And Jerry ba- so the Jerry Baxter Memorial Award went to Reggie Lawson, which I think might be uh, maybe a comeback player of the year or maybe a heart and hustle kind of player of the year. Okay. I'm not quite sure. But uh, that's a lot of lava getting a lot of um, love from the Cali League to finish off my L's. Um, so that was really cool. Um, moving on, AJ Casabell tweeted, uh, a real fun group of Padres headed out to the AFL this year. Austin Allen, Hudson Potts, Hansel Rodriguez, which was kind of a surprise, and Buddy Reed. I'm sure a couple more Padres will be added later. We'll see if uh, maybe uh, Mackenzie Gore, I'm thinking maybe Mackenzie Gore uh, would get a shot because he didn't, he didn't have a lot of innings this year. And the finger, the middle finger injury should be, the fingernail should be back to normal. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Or if we saw another, uh, maybe another bat or so get added to the AFL mm-hmm. over the season. So that's um, so that's with all the accolades for the minor league system. So Buddy Reed's an interesting pick to me because he scorched it in the Cal League and then went to Double A and really struggled. Yeah. So there must be some adjustments that you, know, you see a guy that dominates so well. Maybe he's maybe the mechanics aren't quite right. Maybe yeah. there are some things about the approach that aren't quite there but he's making up for it with athleticism. And then you get to that next higher level and they can, 
they can take advantage of that. So maybe they've got some mechanical tweaks they wanted because he's he made several changes to his swing just throughout this year. Yeah, he's a pretty raw guy coming in. Um, Austin Allen, I'm he's had he's played a lot this season, so I'm kind of surprised that they're sending him to the Arizona Fall League. I wonder if they're going to take a look at him at a different position That'd now that there's a whole bunch of different catchers in front of him. Because um, the fall caught, league is where they play around with positions with guys. Yeah, yeah. And he caught every, almost every single game. Like Overstreet was at first. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the other backup catcher for um, for the missions. But, yeah, he, that's a lot of catching. So it would be interesting to maybe see him play at first base or so. Roy was making a face like he was, was trying to. I, it's a, Web, it, Web, Webster Revis. Webster, I was going to say Revis. <laughs> I didn't know. I, yeah, Webster, yeah. So, um, so that's going to be fun. And I love the AZL because they'll play. On MLB Network, they'll, they'll have a, several games. And I think as time goes on, that maybe some more of those games will be televised uh, because there has been an overall interest in minor league baseball from all the affiliates, from I know all of from they, all the teams. They stream a lot of those games. Yeah. I know that. Last year, I was watching a lot of them on a, on streaming. I think it was. I don't even think there was a charge for it. But don't quote me on that. I won't quote you on that, but I'm certainly going to check that out. <laughs> um, moving on. So Ben Davey had this interview for Mad Friars with Ty France, my guy Ty France. Um, and I wanted to preview it because it's a really good interview and there's several really cool things that he says in here. The question, managers will often find weird ways to tell players they were promoted. How were you told? Ty France, we were taking infield in San Antonio and Philip came over to me and asked if I had ever been to AAA before. I said no and he responded with... You're not in the lineup. You're not in our lineup tonight. Pack your bags. You're headed into El Paso. Congratulations. <laughs> and now, I love the note here. At this right. point, Francisco Mejia comes by and spends 30 seconds offering his bat as a microphone for the celebrity. Celebrity. <laughs> well, and that's what I love about that. That shows a little personality. That shows yeah. a little camaraderie. Yeah. Um, that shows a little fun that that both those guys have. You know, mm-hmm. to have him come over and do that. Um, the next question I thought was really interesting. As a San Diego Aztec, what is it like playing in the Padres organization? Ty France, it's awesome. To be picked by the hometown team is almost a dream come true. I'm from L.A., but three years in San Diego, and it became home. I had two years with Coach Gwynn and my junior year with Coach Martinez, so I feel I got the best of both worlds. Coach Gwynn is Mr. Padres, so getting to be in his organization is something special. He's one of the last players with a direct tie to Tony Gwynn. And I think he's the last minor leaguer that played directly for well the last he's definitely the last minor leaguer in the Padres organization yeah. that actually yeah. played for Tony Gwynn right I think there were a couple of players still that were recruited by Tony but didn't actually play under him as a coach hmm. but Ty I think he redshirted and he had a like a season loss to injury or something like that um, but I, I we want to see these guys come up and play for the Padres and embrace being a Padre, embrace the fans, embrace right. us as fans right. and the community and, and stay. And so it's neat to see somebody come up and kind of at least understand part of what that means. That right. He knows what Tony Gwynn means to this community. Right. He knows what Tony meant to baseball. And so that gives him a certain perspective. And it's, I, I like that. So it's hard not to root for the guy. Absolutely. So I also, I also caught this tweet. Uh, Sports Info Solutions tweeted this. The following on Luis, uh, Luis Urias, we track minor league defense data too. His 14 defensive runs saved are the most of any second baseman in AA or AAA this season. 
And we've certainly seen that up at the major league level. Oh, yeah. He Just, makes plays that nobody else... Just makes plays. I mean, Spangenberg, Aswahe, nobody gets to those balls. No. And he's been getting to them. He's got the athleticism to roll, spin around, make that quick throw. He's got range going back. I and mean, he's the he is the real deal. And damn, is he good looking? <laughs> he's just a good looking kid. He um, is. He is. <laughs> and he handles himself well. He's done some post game interviews yeah. and everything, and yeah. he already looks pretty comfortable. Yeah. He doesn't have that wide eyed rookie, you know, oh, I don't know, look in his face. He he's just he takes it as it is. I. I love the guy. Yeah. It's too bad that he's done for the rest of the year, but if there, he gives us reason to be excited for next spring already. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited, but yeah. to me, he's front and center because I know that he's going to be right at the center of the Padres' plans moving forward. Um, Kurt Rollo of MILB wrote an article on Owen Miller. Owen Miller was a, a third-round draft pick this year. Third round, I believe, yeah. Um Coming from Tri-Cities, was just tearing it up in Tri-Cities. And we'll talk more about this with my interview with Chris King from the Tri-City Dust Devils. And then was sent up to uh, A-Ball in Fort Wayne and even did better up in Fort Wayne. And then was on the double-A roster where they're playing right now, has already impacted that game, playing shortstop. Yeah, the guy can hit and he can play short. You can play anywhere you want to put him. He likes that. He's embraced the idea of being a utility guy. Absolutely. So moving on, uh, the, the, moving on with the article, uh, John Matthews, a hitting coach for Fort Wayne. I think he's got the hitting gene, whatever that is. Some guys have that, and some guys don't. Owen is going to be a gap-to-gap guy, Matthews said. He's going to hit the occasional homer. If he has two strikes, he'll use right field if he has to. He's just a pure hitter. Owen is going to be an exciting guy to watch through the system. He's learning to be a pro, and it's happening pretty quickly. Well, jumping up so many levels, and how many how many kids get drafted and then wind up in Double A yeah. that same year well, and succeeding? Yeah. Well, we talk about the minor when we talk about the playoffs here. Um, I got some interesting stats about uh, where he was when the season started and where he is now. Um, also, from um, so real quick, the Padres on deck game this year is on a Thursday night, September twenty seventh at six ten. Now, every year they have this game, and me and Liddy have been going to it since it started, and this is now the third year. Um, you get to see the the top of the top, the talent of the talent. We've seen mm-hmm. Tatis, seen Anderson Espinosa, saw you know Josh Naylor hit that opposite field home run during his game. Mm-hmm. Terso Ornelas, Tukapita Marcano, Tijuana, Tijuana Terso. Terso Ornelas. Terso Ornelas was a 16-year-old kid. At the time, he was the youngest professional player to ever play in a um, at Petco Park. He was 16 years old. He had one at bat. He struck out, but still. I mean, it's just it's a great game to go to. Um, it's free, and I think they, the concessions they, um, if I remember correctly, and I remember because I had like seven hot dogs. <laughs> um, I think hot dogs are like a buck. I saw something about bacon wrapped hot dogs. Yeah, they have bacon wrapped hot dogs for sale, so I might have to throw a couple of those down. Absolutely, and they might be on the cheap, too. So, so the, to... the name Tukupita Marcano slipped out of your mouth, and I bet you he's going to be there. Yeah. I bet we'll see Olivier Basabe, yeah. um, Owen Miller that you just listed here, and a whole bunch of these guys that have had really strong seasons in the low minors, either in the Arizona Summer League or in the in Tri-Cities. Oh. As Roy plays with a just-married uh, balloon? Yeah, our friend Jenny came over, and she kind of, she just she bombed our cars and put pom poms and signs all over them, and then we walked in the house and these balloons were all over the place. Oh. So she surprised us when we came home the other day. That was so sweet. Um, moving on, 
Ben da- once again, another great interview from Ben Davey uh, with Logan Allen. Uh, and this is after he got sent up to AAA. So, Mad Friars, how did you hear about your call-up to El Paso, Logan? I was throwing a bullpen, and one of the Padres pitching coordinators came over to me and asked me about my last start against Midland. I told him it wasn't good. Four innings, six hits, three earned runs, two base on balls, 3K. He said, yeah, we know. It's why we're calling you up to El Paso. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, the romance of minor league baseball is encapsulated in not only uh, uh, how a coach delivers a, a, a player getting called up to the big leagues or even a player getting called up to the next run. It's just, you know, those guys toil, the, the, the players toil, the managers, the coaches have toiled in, you know, in the minor league. They're on the buses too, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Maybe the coordinators are, are flying around a little bit more, but, you know, they're growing with the grind of the minor league season. And the, I think the one joy they get is the ability to like, how can we get them? And, and I've heard some, I've heard some great stories, and I just, uh, but it's great to hear that. Um, I couldn't tell if he was joking, but he told me that my next start would be that Saturday against Sacramento. I had to wait a day until the Padres made some corresponding roster moves with the big league club, which was also was great uh, to think about being that close. As soon as that happened, I packed my bags and headed here. Packed my bags and headed here. Um, how was how was the Pacific Coast League treating you? How has the Pacific Coast League treated you so far, Alan. So far, so good. I've only had a few starts here so far and haven't had my best stuff. I've struggled with certain pitches, but the defense and offense behind me has really picked me up. They have been excellent. You can tell the hitters in AAA are a step up from AA, which is a challenge. But I like the challenge, and I'm ready to continue to give my best and help the team win. Well, the performance is certainly there. He said he doesn't have his best stuff, and the competition's better, but his numbers are even better than he had a double A. Right, the four zero, the four zero point eight two ERA. Yeah, absolutely. And he had he had one or two starts in there um, that weren't the greatest, but I we want that learning curve. We want them to struggle because then they'll make they'll become better players. That's how you learn, yeah. Um, God, you know, I just. I have to give a shout out to Mad Friars because I really just, they had, they had released a bunch of these interviews. There's longer parts of the interview. If you subscribe to Mad Friars, put down the $5 latte for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I, that's kind of tired, but it's pretty true. It's five bucks a month. You get all these excellent interviews, top of the line content from these guys. Um, and they just got a bunch of these interviews out and they've been great. Well, now they're about to put out all these flurries of top, top prospect lists right because each writer comes up with their own list right. and i think they go 30 players deep yeah so i mean you read about all these players and we talk about them a lot but it's nice to see these guys that track them all year and really kind of assess what they've done this year and look into the next year and beyond a little bit yeah and what what happened was ben davies spent the what three days in texas in el paso so he gets all the access and he gets to talk to these guys on top of eating great tex-mex barbecue I wonder if he had any of those chapulines, the fried grasshoppers. Uh, you know what? I think he might have had. I thought I might have seen a bag in a I photo because so, they're pretty good on Twitter. Crunchy. Um, he also uh, interviewed Luis Urias, and um, this is how it went. You went through your first prolonged slump earlier in the year. Have you done anything different to get out of it? And do you as and do as well as you are now, Urias? The coaches worked with me on being more aggressive at the plate. They reminded me that working the count doesn't help if you strike out, and I need to put the ball in play more. I worked on getting on top of the ball to create more backspin, create more of a backspin. 
So being more aggressive at the plate, I saw, I was talking to you the other day or a couple shows back about that article that Nate Fryman wrote about how the strike zone changes as you go up different levels. And, and as a selective player, you, he should actually draw more walks as you go up based on what that article said, that the strike zone tends to kind of shrink a little bit as you move up through the levels. But He's not paid to walk. And right. it's like the phrase goes, you can't walk off the island, talking about like players in the Dominican <laughs> or Cuba or whatever, because those guys right. are notorious for not drawing walks. Right. But it's, yeah, we want him to draw a walk every once in a while, but he's his job is to hit. His job is to put contact on the ball, which he's done, and he's only hit two-something so far. Which is fine. But, but when he puts the ball in play, he puts it on the line. Yeah. Well, and you see the quality match real quick for the Major League Club. You see the quality at bats. You see him taking pitches that are borderline. And, you know, and a couple of times I've seen him kind of go, ah. you know, he's like, ah, oh, it's called a strike. You know, he's learning the strike zone here in the major leagues as oh, well. Yeah, but the pitches that he takes that are just off the zone, yeah. those yeah. are pitchers' pitches that yeah. he's taking. Yeah. That's neat. It's it's encouraging right. seeing that. Which pitch is going to be a ground ball, or it's going to be a pop up, or something like that. Yeah. So I, I just, he's having some professional bats at a young age in the major leagues, and it's great. Um, I love this question. How comfortable do you feel playing shortstop? AJ Preller, listen up. <laughs> I like it. I like having the opportunity to play shortstop, and I will say yes anytime they ask me. So I read there was a um, Kevin AC put an article out about his hamstring, and apparently they had some plans coming up for Luis Urias to start, I think, the game on Saturday. He said that Urias was going to start at shortstop and Galvis was going to start at second. So right. they wanted to give him a look out there. Now that's not going to happen. But uh, they wanted to, to take a look at him at shortstop before the end of the year at the major league level. I, he can do it. So I, do you think that they're really wondering about maybe giving him the keys at shortstop to start the season next year? I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if we had to kind of stick with Javi Guerra. Uh-huh. Uh, Javi Guerra and Urias and maybe a third infielder or even a fourth infielder uh, to cover that gap till uh, Fernando gets up. And it might take two months. It might be, uh, you know, might be a month of, we'll see what Javi Guerra does. But, you know, with, with the way he's hitting in AAA right now, um, probably not going to do that well. But he is a glove first defender. Yeah. Which we have in, in Galvis. But I think Galvis would also um, require more than a year. Like, no one, he's not going to sign for a year and go, like, oh, yeah, by the way, two months in, you're going to go to second base or even be traded. Yeah, that's a hard sell. I'd really like to see Galvis stick around, but that's a hard sell. It is. It is. Um, so we'll see. But I love that. He's like, I like playing shortstop. And he, he's done well when he was in AAA and farther back in the AZL. Well, he said he enjoyed playing third base, too. Yeah. He, he's just, the yeah. guy loves playing ball. Yes. Yes. And whatever <laughs> it takes for the team to win, yeah. uh, he'll do, even by pulling a hammy. Um, moving on, um, I subscribe to the Sack Bunt Test and Newsletter, and so do you, don't you? I do. And you've been busy at getting married in Marriage Town yeah, in Hawaii. Yeah, you know, silly stuff like that. To miss, the, uh, to miss the article on the newsletter on Luis Patino. Oh. Um, shout out to Dustin Palmier. Palmatier, excuse me. I'm in food service, so when I see <laughs> Palmier, I'm like, oh, Palmier. Um, uh, if you get a chance, it's another. It's that's not even five bucks a month. It's uh, what thirty bucks for a, a newsletter once a week, a couple times a week in depth. No, it's almost every day. E- okay, it's pretty much every day. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. I, that's um, that's just me not knowing the newsletter. Um, in depth analysis, a lot of sabermetrics, a lot of numbers. He breaks it down for all those uh, you know the sabermetric guys that love the numbers and the in and outs of baseball. 
on Luis Patino. Patino allowed a run or fewer in 12 of his 17 starts. And we've said this several times, but we love talking about Luis Patino, so we're going to keep going. Um, in his first game against the West Michigan Whitecaps, he didn't face a fellow teenager. In fact, most of the Whitecaps lineup was populated by 22 and 23-year-olds. And Patino's 18? 18. <laughs> Barely even buy cigarettes. Um, Patino struck out four in five innings, allowed just one earned run. Another section here. Patino's 29.7 strikeout percentage ranked 15th in the league among 155 pitchers with at least 50 innings. That's 155 pitchers that pitched 50 innings, and he's 15th at 18. Yeah, way young for the league. A percentage point and change higher than teammate Mackenzie Gore, who pitched um, barely that many. Um, his strikeout percentage minus rock per- uh, excuse me, his strikeout percentage minus walk percentage, a good proxy for content ton- context neutral dominance. You'll have to explain that to me because that's just sabermetric talking. Uh huh. Okay, so what he's at the low minors, you can't really look at ERA or um, a lot of the other, I mean, wins and losses and things like a lot of the counting stats, a lot of the rate stats. But one thing you can look at is how many players is he striking out, how many players is he walking, and you would expect that a dominant pitcher at that level should be striking out a lot more than he's walking. Yeah. So you just take the the strikeout rate and subtract the walk rate. And that gives you an idea on how consistently he's pounding the zone and how much, how well he's dominating. Yeah, how well he's dominating hitters. Wow. Thank you for that. I must. Well, I mean, especially like the Arizona Summer League. Right. And I think Kevin was talking about that, that you just can't look at stat lines. And yeah, we like to look, oh, this guy's hitting 587. Right, right. What does it mean? There's, yeah. uh, is he striking out a lot? Yeah. Now we're starting to get data about like uh, strike plate, plate discipline. Yeah. Are they swinging at pitches out of the zone? Are they swinging at pitches in the zone? That's the kind of thing that translates as you move up through levels. Right, right. And that's the way it translates to what scouts can see and the organization can see. Okay, yeah, he's hitting that, but he's hitting everything and within swinging distance or, or whatever. I didn't mean to go s- sleepy on you. It's just, it's really, that's the kind of coverage that you get mm-hmm. uh, from Dustin, and it's fantastic coverage. Well, and to, to expand a little bit more, there's a lot of other noise in lower minor league data that the way that, that plays are scored, the way that a hit versus an error, that's mm-hmm. not as consistent as you see in major leagues. Right. The defense right. isn't as consistent. So you may have a, a pitcher who's doing well, and then a couple of bad things happen, and an inning goes off the rails, yeah. and that all counts against the pitcher. Yeah. But was he really responsible for all right. that stuff happening? Can you hold an 18-year-old responsible for giving up five earned runs after a couple of blown calls? Right. I, that kind of thing happens. But if he continues to hit the strike zone and strike guys out and not issue walks, that tells you that at least he's doing his job. Yes. Yes. And so to, to finish up this with, um, so that good proxy for context neutral dominance. Okay, he, so that, he, he's saying that you can take the context out of it. It doesn't matter what level he is. That just says that he's dominating. Yes. That's he, That's what he's, he's trying to kind of trim the fat and show you here's a value that you can use to say that he's good. So the strikeout percentage to minus walk percentage yeah. ranked 13th. One spot behind former second-round overall draft pick Hunter Green. Yeah, Hunter Green that throws 102. Yeah. Um, this kid is – I think he's special. Oh, yeah. I, he's not – he's more um, more than special. Um, I have saw several of his starts. Uh, not only has he had this – Everbesson just 
outgoing, fun-loving personality, which is going to translate great at the major league level. Um, they may come off a little like... Um, uh, a little cocky? Fernandez. Um, oh, Jose Fernandez? Jose Fernandez. Just I got no problem with that. Right? Um, <laughs> Give me but that. But he throws 98 consistently, and he throws curveball and, and changeup for strikes. It's uh-huh. not, oh, he throws it in the dirt. He throws it for strikes. It's it's stuff that works. And it's not, you know, Baez in, in Fort Wayne just was, you know, he's eight feet tall throwing 98. Oh, and that's fine when you're hitting a ball hitters. They're going to hit, they're going to swing right over it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is pitching. He's just not thrown. I hear the comparison at, at the same age and the same level to Anderson Espinosa mm. before he got hurt that he ascended up the levels and he was dominant at a very young age. So let's hope he stays healthy. Let's hope that Anderson Espinosa comes back and looks like he did before he got hurt. But he was one of the best pitching prospects in the game before yeah. he got hurt. And Luis Patino has come out of nowhere. And now he's going to be making top prospect lists yeah. across the board this offseason. Yeah. Um, so that's about it for, for batting leadoff. We're going to move on to the last two teams that were made the playoffs. The Apache Chihuahuas made the playoffs. And the, and the Missions, who are playing again tonight for the Texas League Championship against the Tulsa Drillers, um, El Paso lost their series. They were down two. They won. They came back two. They, they came back two. That that first that, that first win was absolute gem thrown by Cal Quantrill, um, but they eventually lost, and mm-hmm. that's and that's fine. But what uh, another team? You know, the Missions came back. They were zero and two, facing elimination in a best of five series, and won three straight games. I saw a quote from somebody about that. That okay, so they were down zero and two. They lost a bunch of their pitchers from getting called up. They lost Tatis. They they've had they've had a bunch of players added to the roster from the lower levels, and yet they still continued to win. And they seemed to even get better as the season went by. Missing Tatis, Chris Paddock, Logan Allen, you know, even the Chihuahuas, they were missing, you know, Luis Urias from Francisco Mejia. A lot of the bullpen guys that were that are up in the big league club. Mm-hmm. So both those teams weren't really expecting to make the playoffs, ended up making the playoffs. And the missions are in. But what I wanted to highlight was um, was that game four, Nick Margovicius started the year in Fort Wayne. Yeah. And then dominated A ball, went up to advance A in the Cali League Hitters League, um, and had really good ERA in at the Diamond up in Lake Elsinore. His road splits were horrible because uh, it's just a hitter league. Um, and he had some really bad starts in Lancaster, which we know is just – like Wrigley Field, just wind blows out. It's mm-hmm. a horrible ball field for any pitcher. Um, but he spent the, uh, he won game four in dominating fashion. In dominating fashion. Yeah. God, he um, God, you know, I don't have the numbers on me. God, bad, bad host. <laughs> um, yeah, but he was. You got JB Bukowskis here, so he was one of the top prospects in the Astros. Yeah. Organization, so he was facing top competition. Overmatched if you look at his age and the competition level, and he went out there and performed. Absolutely, um, and then he won that game. So they were on to go on to uh, game five. But the key here was for the playoffs, they added Owen Miller. Owen Miller started was a starting shortstop for the Illinois State Cardinals at the beginning of the mission season. He was playing college mm-hmm. baseball. Yeah. In the beginning of the season, he should be worn out by now. He's been doing baseball activities <laughs> since like February. <laughs> 
the hitting gene you can't it's a gene it's turned on you yeah know? um he hit 335 for a short uh, for tri cities and then hit 336 for the tin caps um came up hit a game tying home run uh just phenomenal he's still doing well he's starting short stuff for double a for for the missions um Nick Margavicious on that day, I'm sorry, I do have the numbers. <laughs> Seven innings, four hits, one run, one earned, one base on balls, and 8K HR. Now, mm. when I saw him in Lake Elsinore earlier this month, he didn't he didn't hit he didn't hit eighty he didn't hit ninety. No? He was eighty-nine tops, and I watched the radar gun at consistently eighty-eight. He has a devastating curveball. He has a great changeup. And um he reminds me of much like a Rich Hill. Rich Hill doesn't throw hard, but he's two seamer. It, you know, has movement and all his off-speed stuff moves so much, it keeps Major League's hitters off. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really interested to see how well that did translate from, from and, it's one, and I know it's one start. It's one start in double-A, but the uh, Corpus Christi Hooks are the best offensive team in double-A, period. And he held that team to four hits. Yeah. You know, and one so... Home, um, one run, and that was by way of a home run. So that tells me there was only one mistake. Right. He made one mistake that they punished. The rest of it, we don't know what those hits are. You know, weak flares, whatever. That yeah. happens. But I wrote this, and I wanted to read this because um, I, I just fancy myself this way. Uh, the Game 5, you can call on the Miracle Missions. After being down two games and trailing 8-1 to one in the third game of a five-game series, they came back and won that game in a rain-suspended extra-inning game. Then a half an hour later, relied on a starting pitcher making his double-A debut that started the season in single-A Fort Wayne, and he twirled the jam. To get the ball to 14th rounder from Fort Defiance, Virginia, Chris Huffman and the righty was perfect the first time through the Hooks lineup and only allowed three singles through the first six frames. But by that time, the Missions offense had woke up. The Missions had just one extra base hit, an RBI double by Michael Geddes, but tallied 13 total hits and four walks and went 5 for 11 with runners in scoring position on the day. Owen Miller, who finished with a single and five trips, was the only mission batter not to reach base twice. Um, by the seventh inning, it was 5-0. Reed ran his way into another run as he bunted for a single, stole second, and advanced to third on a wild throw. Then came around on an RBA single by Josh Naylor. Manufacturing runs. Yeah, and that was the next day. So, 11-inning game, started raining, stop it. Next day, start the game. And oh, that's, that's what, right. They had to finish the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they started with him on second base. The club got two more to ice the game in the ninth with three singles and a walk. And I quietly turned my page. Buddy Reed was one for three with base on ball, stolen base, uh, two runs. Josh Naylor, two for five, RBI, run. Uh, first base, Kyle Overstreet, two for five, two runs, RBI. Chris Huffman, seven innings, four hits, one earned run, 3K, one base on balls. That's a lot of pitching to contact. So after a strong April, Huffman was hit hard for two months in El Paso before returning to uh, San Antonio after the All-Star break. He toiled in the bullpen until August and had made only three starts for the missions prior to the playoffs. Some guys bounce around like that before they kind of figure it out. Absolutely. You know, and, and going down a, going down a level, kind of figuring it out, if it's pitching, if it's mechanics, or just even getting confidence back. Mm-hmm. Um, comes in and twirls a gym. And they're right now, they're playing right now. And my goodness, if I don't have my phone on me to, to, to check and see what they're doing. And um, coming up here, we're going to have my interview with Chris... Uh, Oh, they lost. They lost three to two in the tenth inning. Ah, Brad Radke took the loss. That was last night. Not Brad. Brett. Brett. Oh, you're killing me. 
Radke. Travis Radke. Travis Radke. Tra- Thank that you. was last night's game, so double check that. It says Wednesday. Okay. All right. So the game before was the same thing. He gave up. He was. He came in and he gave up the run as well. Um, Hudson Potts hit a home run. Peter yeah, Van Gansen hit a double. That was last night. I was like, oh yeah, here's Bias. Okay, yeah, this is yesterday. Yeah, Bias started that game last night. Never mind. And and you know, continue uh, just to kind of riff on Bias. Um, you know, after having such a dominating season in Fort Wayne and doing pretty good, not dominating in Fort Wayne or in in the Lake Elsinore, but doing pretty good, has seemed to have hit a wall in Double A. Um, well, he was having apparently had a back issue early in the season. Right. And that started, that slowed him a little bit. And then maybe there were some mechanics things that he was working with. I, I don't know. It also seemed like they were, he was nibbling the edges a lot more yeah. versus just trying to pound the zone with his fastball like he was able to do in single A. Uh, so I have today's game up now. Tulsa's up two to one in the top of the third. Okay. And that's, and that's fine. Yep. Um, so coming up here, we have my interview with Chris King from the Tri-City Dust Devils, whom I had interviewed earlier last week um but right before i went to right before i went to interview him my computer decided to restart and reboot and update mm-hmm. and it sent everything that i had on my desktop back to its regular levels oh geez and so i'm clicking here clicking there doing this doing that um even the recording on um the wavelength looks weird huh so i have that interview which um was a fantastic interview, but in between large silences of us asking questions. So you only re- re- recorded his part. Right. You hear, great. Great to be here. Thank you very much. 45 seconds of silence <laughs> as we talk to him. And then he starts answering the questions. And editing in the questions was way beyond my skill level. So he was gracious enough to come back on. And um, I, I talked to him yesterday. It's in the can. It recorded. It sounded great. I'm very impressed with myself to be able to fix that. But um, that's about it. And it's coming up right now. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for another episode. We'll just close out with with a uh, cr- with, with the all my rowdy friends have <laughs> settled down. <laughs> yep. I guess. Oh wait. That's, oh, that's a replay. That's Dang a replay. It. I all right. Hit another Go Padres. Run. You can find me at SD Donovan on Twitter, and you can find Roy. At Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres. Go Padres. We're joined here with Chris King, the broadcaster for the Tri-City Dust Devils. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great to talk to you. And uh, you know, for those that don't know, we had a little bit of technical difficulties because uh, this is a homegrown podcast. And uh, we recorded a complete interview with Chris, gracious enough to come on the podcast. And... Uh, all you hear is fantastic answers from Chris and silence in between. So um, I uh, I appreciate you coming back. No worries. I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about the Dust Devils and all the Padres prospects that have come through anytime. And you are you're at the you're at the base of the flow of lava there in, in Tri Cities. Exactly. It, it bubbles up starting right in the Tri Cities and it works its way ultimately to San Diego. So yeah, we've been uh, we've been really lucky. Uh, this is uh, this was the Dust Devils' fourth year as a Padres affiliate, just wrapping up the fourth year. And, uh, yeah, there's been some outstanding guys who have come through. And, and this year uh, is, you know, no exception. We'll see. It's 
It'll be tough to live up to the last two years, especially in 16 and 17. There were some really good guys, but uh, uh, we'll see. Time will tell how this year's uh, this year's Dust Devils will match up when we kind of look back years from now. Well, well, I tell you, let's talk about the hottest uh, the hottest player that came out of the uh, Tri Cities this year, Owen Miller. God, did he just not tear it up in Tri Cities and then moved up to Fort Wayne and tore it up there? Yeah, it was really fun to see how well he did in Fort Wayne. And as we've kind of talked about, you know, you look at his numbers, and he was really good with the Dust Devils. He, when he was called up, he, him and Olivier Basabe were the two Dust Devils position players uh, who played in the Northwest League versus Pioneer League All-Star team. And here he hit 335 in 49 games with the Dust Devils. And when he was promoted after those 49 games, he ended up having the most hits in the Northwest League. And what does he turn around and do in Fort Wayne? He ends up having even a better batting average than he had with the Dust Devils. So it's really impressive to see. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, this is my seventh year with the Dust Devils. They, uh, a lot of times you wouldn't see guys in Owen Miller's position get promoted. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, you know, if you're a guy drafted out of college, a lot of the times teams would just have you play in the Northwest League or, you know, in the New York Penn League, whatever short season league you were in. And just kind of have that first year to get your feet underneath you of professional baseball. Well, after Miller was drafted in the third round of uh, this year's draft by the Padres out of Illinois State, you know, he went to the Dust Devils, did fantastic. They gave him another challenge going up to Fort Wayne, and he's passed with flying colors there. And I know in the playoffs he's been able to spend some time with San Antonio. And I, I don't know what more you could ask for from a guy in his first year. You can't ask for much. And, you know, he's, he's singled and he's homered. Um... Uh, in the playoffs, and they are—they're uh, starting right now playing the uh, Tulsa Drillers for the AA uh, Texas League Championship. Yeah, it's exciting that he gets to be a part of that. You think about—you know—here's a guy who started June just wrapping up a fantastic season for Illinois State, and now he's competing for a Double A title in his first year, and you know, being a contributor for San Antonio as well. You know, so we, we talked about his bat. Uh, How is his defense? They playing shortstop at a premium position. Yeah, you know, his defense was was solid. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that was, you know, his bat is what, was what sticks out. There's no doubt about it. And we'll see long-term where his home is. Maybe it is at shortstop. Uh, obviously, for any position, if you're a guy in the Padres system right now, uh, it's tough because there's so many good guys in front of you, and, and shortstop is definitely one of those positions where that's the case. So we'll see. Maybe his, maybe his home in the future is at second base. Uh, maybe it's somewhere in the outfield. Maybe it's a third. Uh, we'll see. Are you going again? Maybe it's a shortstop long term. But um, his, his defense was solid. But you know, definitely the thing that stood out about him was was his bat. And just you know, I saw the article that milb.com had uh, talking to the Fort Wayne hitting coach, su summing him up, and said he's just got the hitting gene. And there's not much. You, know, you look at him, and there's not much flashy about him. And I mean that in a complimentary way. But it's just a guy who knows how to hit, and for whatever reason, you know, credit to him, he's got that hitting gene, and that's, you know, led him through an outstanding college career and an awfully impressive first year of pro ball. You know, and that hitting gene will move you up pretty quickly. Um, Angel Acevedo had a pretty solid season. Uh, what does he throw? Um, you know, just off the top of my head, I think for our fastball, curveball, changeup, um, you know, he was a guy, I think he was his last down. 
where he kind of, it was a little bumpy. It was his worst outing of the year. He got the loss, gave up seven runs and five and a third. But, you know, I was, as I would kind of reflect back on that outing, it was one of those where if one or two calls go a different way, and I mean, you know, whether a ball's ruled a hit or an error, and, you know, one that I think from a Dust Devils perspective, one or two, they'd rather have an error than a hit. It ended up being a hit. And, you know, you might lose two or three earned runs on his total earned run tally. But, you know, just 19 years old. And came through, and in his 12 outings with the Dust Devils, he made 11 starts. And pretty much every time gave the team a chance to win. That last outing against Spokane at the end of August was the one where he got up those seven runs. But you, know, you look at it a lot differently if you know a ball's called an air instead of a hit, and he's only given up three or four earned runs uh, on that day. But, you know, every time, basically, he, went, he towed the rubber for the Dust Devils, he gave the team a chance to win. And that's awfully impressive to see just that kind of consistency. Guys have bad days. Things don't go right. But, you know, day in and day out, and he was one of the top players in the Northwest League. He kind of got the short end of the stick. He should have been on the all-star team. He wasn't. And then I thought at the end of the year, you know, maybe his case got weakened a little bit, but the, the tally was already in after that last outing. Um, but very well could have been one on the end-of-the-year All-Star team. So even though he didn't get he wasn't in the All-Star game or wasn't on the end-of-the-year All-Star team, he put up uh, an All-Star caliber performance throughout the year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Fort Wayne uh, next year. And he may have been added to that roster at the end of the season there. I'm not sure. Um, Blake Hunt went on a tear at the end of the season. Was there an adjustment there or just the guy getting comfortable? You know, I think it was a guy getting comfortable. Uh, Mike McCoy mentioned uh, the Dust Devils manager talked about Pat O'Sullivan, the team's hitting coach, working a lot with them. And you know, the phrase he used was maybe kind of simplifying things a little bit. Uh, but, you know, boy, he was really on a tear at the end of the year. That stretch he had at the end of the season, he might have been uh, hats right up there with as hot as a Dust Devil was at the plate throughout the year, all of the year. Basabe had a good stretch. Really, Michael Curry, another guy. Uh, who ended up getting promoted at the very end of the year, the first-year guy. Um, it you know, makes me think of Owen Miller as well, that uh, he had a really good stretch at the end. But Blake Hunt, uh, you know, taken last year's track in high school. And uh, I thought in addition to his bat, defense uh, really showed, you know, an increase, an uptick at the end of the season as well. And for him, you know, the Arizona League last year didn't play in a ton of games. Uh, that tally was, you know, right. It was right at 30 total that he played in the Arizona League. He didn't catch a lot of them, uh, but this year he was kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool a little bit because he led the Northwest leagues in, in Northwest League in games played by a catcher. Uh, so he's really kind of a day in and day out guy. A lot of times in the in previous years, like last year, Jalen Washington and Chandler Siegel split time as the Dust Devils catcher, kind of day for day. Well, Blake Hunt got the bulk of the time, and you know you're you're going through the grind and. Um, yeah, it was it was it was neat to see him in the season that way, and uh, it'll be fun to see him uh, kind of carry that momentum into the next year. It's a great way to wrap up the season. Nice. What did, there was a turnaround in Henry Henry this season after a tough start in Fort Wayne. Uh, what were were there any adjustments there? Was it the weather, or what do you think? You know, that's a good question because uh, from my perspective, getting to watch Henry Henry pitch. It, I missed this blip that was, you know, really rough for him in the spring in Fort Wayne. And really, in the time you feel with the Dust Devils, he's been really strong. He was a Northwest League All-Star last year, and his numbers are almost identical. And, I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, in 2017, he was had a 3.48 ERA. This year with the Dust Devils had a 3.32 ERA. Um, so, you know, there was that kind of rough patch for him up in Fort Wayne. 
Eisen said, I don't know if it was the weather, you know, the, the walks were an issue for him, the hits were an issue for him. It was just a tough goal. Uh, but when he was back with the Dust Devils when the Northwest League season rolled around in mid-June, uh, he kind of picked up where he left off in 2017 from his time uh, with the Dust Devils. So it was kind of more the same, and he got promoted at the end of the year, went back to Fort Wayne, and I know things were a little better for him than it went the time before. But I think, you know, for him, when he maybe had some, some tough parts, and the numbers overall are really strong, so there haven't been any of them. You know, it's kind of dealing with traffic on the bases, dealing with a little bit of adversity. He was young with the Dust Devils last year. He was 18. He was just 19 this year, so he's still a young guy. Um, but maybe just kind of getting that seasoning underneath your belt to learn how to deal with those situations where there was an improvement of, uh, you know, maybe in times in the past where when the going got rough where he maybe, you know, wasn't able to get himself out of it, where uh, this year, you know, he had, had better success dealing with those kind of situations. Well, you know, I, I'm from San Diego, so I'm geographically allergic to snow. So I'm, I'm sure being the <laughs> Dominican, he just, would, you know, probably just didn't work out. And he's, you know, he's thin, he's, he's lanky. So, um, you know, the cold could have definitely played a part there. Um, tell us what you see in, in Grant Little as a player that we uh, I really paid attention to this year. Yeah, Grant Little, uh, you know, really had some strong flashes. Remembering back, I think he went on a nine-game hitting streak to start his pro career. But a guy where, you know, when you, a guy in his situation, I kind of take the overall results this year with the grain of salt. There were, you know, some really good numbers. Ended up hitting 262 overall. But you think about, boy, it has been a sprint for him. It has been a, you know, a marathon and a sprint at the same time where it's not, he didn't get a pace himself in the marathon right. uh, because of the great Texas Tech had, that deep run they made in the College World Series. You know, he joined the Dust Devils late because he was busy in Omaha. Um, but he's played a lot of baseball, and he's been going hard at it, um, as all these guys are from college. But it's, you know, it's a little bit of a different intensity when you make it all the way to the College World Series as well. Um, but, you know, a guy who was really impressive in his time at Texas Tech had some really good defensive plays, some highlight real worthy plays in Omaha, had some really good ones with the Dust Devils. Uh, but, you know, strong speed, um, the bat was solid. Uh, at the end, he kind of, you know, things maybe – uh, maybe a little bit of a more of a cold spell than when he started, okay. uh, but again, I like that. Who and he was he was banged up at the end of the year too, so you factor that in. But um, a guy who went really hard, and uh, you know, your first year of professional baseball, you're just kind of getting your feet underneath you, and it'll be exciting to see what he does, kind of moving forward, and um, what he has, uh, what he's able to do uh, next year. Absolutely, and uh, and as I talk to you, Chris, uh, I'm watching the. Uh, the double-A game, and our uh, our boy Owen Miller got a hit. So he's uh, he's now on third uh, after um, after a single up the middle by uh, Josh uh, Josh Naylor. So the gene is alive and well in double-A. <laughs> Just thought Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great to hear. Not, I'm sure we're in the, both in the same boat where it's not uh, – it's fun to see that, but it's not surprising to see him having success up in double-A. Absolutely. So Tukapita – Tukapita, I always like to say Tusapita. I don't know why, but Tukapita Marcano looks to be a special player. Um, tell us about him. 
Yeah, so it, re- it reminded me of the swap that was made in 2016. So the Dust Devils that year, it was only two years ago, but you look at the guys and the success they've had since then. The Dust Devils that year had Cal Quantrill, Joey Lucchese, and Eric Lauer. They were kind of the Dust Devils' own little mini big three that first year. Uh, all three guys starting their first year of professional baseball. Well, it was, in, it was right around early to, mi- early to mid-August, right around there. They ended up getting promoted to four games. That was kind of... You know, from a Dust Devils perspective, that was kind of tough because, boy, those guys were fun to watch. So yeah. it was understandable they went up to Fort Wayne, but selfishly, it kind of broke your heart a little bit because when you got to see those guys pitch every week, and that was a ton of fun. But, but the Dust Devils lost those three guys, and then Fernando Tatis Jr. and Hudson Potts came in. So it was like, whoa. I mean, you, and those guys, you know, those guys, they were solid with the Dust Devils, but, you know, to see what they've done since especially just off the charts. Um, so it kind of reminded me of that because right after the All-Star game, the Dust Devils had Owen Miller and all of the air Basabe get promoted. But in, in, in kind of in turn, the guys who came up to take their place, it was Tukapita Marcano and Xavier Edwards. And Marcano, um, you know, he, he kind of, he just you know, hit the ground running. He did have a bit of a kind of a, a slow spell at one point, but then kind of turned it right back on again uh, right before the end of the season. And then Edwards was was fantastic to see. Uh, since the Nuts Devils became a Padres affiliate in 2015, they've only had two guys play on the team who were drafted out of high school that year. It's Xavier Edwards and Hudson Pot. So Edwards finds himself in some pretty good company. But you, you saw on display with Edwards. Uh, what the Padres are hoping and what they think they have in them, and that's great speed, and we saw that on display. He was 10 for 10 on stolen base attempts. Uh, he ended up, he had, his wrist wasn't 100%, so he's a switch hitter, but because of that uh, wrist injury, he only hit from the left side. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what it'll be like when he's able to hit from the right side. So we saw kind of a restricted Xavier Edwards a little bit, and he could sure lay down some beautiful bunts as well. So I know that the whole base is that, you know, he's the leadoff guy of the future. Maybe Tukapita Marcano is the number two hitter of the future, but who knows? It's so stacked in front of all of them that uh, it's just two more great guys to kind of throw into things uh, that continue to make, you know, what a lot of people think, and you know, understandably so, is the best system in all of baseball, uh, even stronger. Marcano, a heck of a turnaround. You know, his numbers weren't flashy last year in 2017, but a young guy and in the Arizona League was hitting 393, ended up as the Arizona League batting champion, even though he end of the season, the Northwest League. And Edwards, that, you know, strong hitter from what we saw, even though he, he was limited, only hitting the left side, and that speed was really, really fun to see. Absolutely. So there are a lot of young Latin players uh, there, and can you can you talk to how they kind of transition to, you know, to, to being in a foreign environment, you know, in a foreign country with a foreign culture, um, and how they kind of made that tra- transition that you saw? Yeah, you know, it's it's always one of those interesting things to see every year. Uh, and some of these guys are just so young, especially the Latin players can be so, so young. And you, you just think like, wow, you know, what, what these guys are having to, you know, handle. When you think about it, so life's already tough enough when you're a professional baseball player and you're trying to, you're trying to give your best performance possible and you're trying to, you know, advance your career. Uh, but then you factor in, you know, being in a completely different place, being a diff- completely different country. The vast majority of the people speaking a completely different language. Uh, but, you know, it always helps. You know, every minor league team has a coach that can speak Spanish, at least one coach that can speak Spanish. And the Dust Devils had some, you know, really strong veterans this year. I think of a guy like Joe Galindo. 
Uh, Joe is, you know, bilingual. He definitely okay. can help and help the, the, the Latin players. Um, and just, uh, it, it is a transition, that's for sure. And I can only kind of scratch the surface on what it's like for them. Uh, but this is kind of, uh, you know, this is kind of their first introduction to, to minor league baseball outside of the complex, whether that's been the Dominican Summer League or pretty much all those guys touched down, at least touched down in the Arizona League. But, you know, when you've got, you're, you know, you're bussing, you know, you're going everywhere, you're, you're getting back early in the morning, you're playing 20-plus days in a row, you're playing in front of fans. Um, it's their first experience, so it's, it's, fun. it's a fun time to see these guys and to see how they are able to handle it and kind of just take it all in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and at 18, 19, I mean, I can't, I don't want to tell you where I was at 18 or 19 years old. Yeah. Certainly in my head, I wasn't in the greatest space, but, uh, you know, to, and to perform at that level, you know, it, it, it's just incredible. And it's a testament to the work that they've done to get there. And, uh, you know, they got to be proud of that. Uh, early in the season, you had, let's light it up a little bit. Early in the season, you had Carter Caps in Tri-Cities. Um, and I, 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 how did he ever buy the team a spread? Did he, uh, you know, how was he around the team? How was he around the players? And how did he kind of fit into the, uh, the roster there, being like an old guy? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't know if he bought the team spread at some point. I didn't hear about it, but he might have. I just don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, I think he took it. I think he took it and made the most out of the situation. And I think he was, you know, never heard anything negative about uh, people dealing with Carter Caps. And my interactions with him was always good. You know, it's, I think it's a tough spot where you think about, you know, he's kind of, in a lot of ways, he's, he's back to the drawing board a little bit after having – you know, he's pitched in, you know, under, but not that far away from 100 big league games over parts of four years. Uh, but between, you know, battling injuries and then, um, you, you know, trying to get his delivery to the point where, and for folks who don't know, who, who don't know the, the full background, um, you know, he had a very unique delivery when he was in the major leagues between his time with the Mariners, the Marlins, and then at the end of the Padres, of course, in the big leagues. And his delivery, a, a hop step to it. Yeah. Where the Major League Baseball then clarified and said, "Hey, that's not that's an illegal pitch," and basically making him go back to try to start in some ways, not quite from square one, but uh, trying to make sure that what he was doing in his delivery was compliant. And uh, in his delivery, you know, we saw it uh, a number of times. He started the season with the Dust Devils all together. He pitched in six games, so not the biggest sample okay. size, but still, uh, his delivery wasn't. You know, it was more of an alteration than a complete overhaul, um, but it certainly was tweaked. And it was still, you know, at times, it, it, you know, it looked somewhat similar to the point where we saw some opposing coaches. I remember specifically the manager from Boise kind of making a stink, uh, still trying to argue that his delivery would qualify as an illegal pitch. Um, and I know he kind of ran into an issue at least one game up in El Paso, but all the other games uh, we're fine, but I never saw, and it's tough because it's kind of a, a minuscule thing a little bit because he's essentially, instead of kind of hopping off the rubber and then delivering from there, he's kind of dragging his back foot. So up in the press box, you couldn't get the best view of if he's still dragging his foot or not. It all seemed like it was fairly close, but you're just, you're high up enough or you don't have the best angle to be, you know, to get a, to get a real kind of zoomed in look as to what's happening. But he pitched well with the Dust Devils, and it was neat to see him then go to Lake Elsinore and um, and then, you know, up from there to El Paso. Uh, so it was definitely a unique situation. I can't remember uh, anyone, not just the Dust Devils, but anyone in the Northwest League having a player quite 
in uh, Carter Cap's position. Yeah. He, you know, he made the most out of it. Okay, so Cole Bellinger comes with, you know, comes with a name. Uh, I, I've seen a couple of his games uh, with the Tri City. Really good curveball. Uh, tell me about him. Yeah, I mean that's that's number one that stands out as the curveball. Really strong curveball. You know his velocity isn't necessarily overwhelming in the sense that you know Dust Devils had a guy like Andres Munoz on the team, but it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be overwhelming. There are other ways to pitch than having a you know an Andres Munoz hundred plus mile per hour fastball. Um, but Bellinger, um, you know, wouldn't be. Uh, this is just me. You know, thinking out loud here, a guy who, you know, maybe the Dust Devils will see again next year, uh, but, you know, maybe has a, a, you know, an outstanding spring and, and earns a spot in Fort Wayne. But, you know, with him, folks have to remember, too, he's really young. Yeah, he was the right player on the Dust Devils. He's not going to turn 19 until next month. His birthday's not until October. So this is a really young guy uh, who still has a lot to, you know, a lot of room to to just, you know, he's just 18. He's got a lot of room to improve and get better. And uh, and we certainly saw some strong flashes this year. I'm sure the final numbers weren't, you know, where he would have wanted them uh, on the year. But, you know, I think back, he had a really strong start in the year. Uh, back on, it was right after the 4th of July and July 5th. He had nine strikeouts and in six innings against Spokane. Uh, the strikeout numbers were pretty solid overall, 48 strikeouts and 54 and two-thirds innings. And a guy who, you know, I think will just continue to improve and improve, but a young guy who, you know, got a lot of experience. You know, he was a member of the Dust Devils starting rotation throughout the season at just 18 years old. Is there a... Thanks, Chris. Is there anyone there that I that kind of missed that I kind of uh, maybe skipped over that uh, you think deserves mentioning? Maybe our listeners can uh, can can jump on to. Yeah, you know, and uh, he was also kind of in the same position as. Uh, Owen Miller and Olivier Basabe, a guy who was an all-star and then called up, and Dan Dallas. Dan Dallas had 45 strikeouts in just 26 and two-thirds innings in his time with the Dust Devils. Really quick worker, quick to the point where, you know, sometimes even umpires, it seemed like they'd get frustrated because he was trying to keep the hitters out of sync and out of rhythm, and it worked. Um, so Dan Dallas, lefty, who, you know, was in the Arizona League the past two years, drafted out of high school, uh, in 16, where, you know, just was able to get his first season outside of Arizona, and he was really strong. Uh, so he was impressive, uh, you know, lefty out of the bullpen. Jordan Guerrero, what more could you ask? You know, it's his third tour of duty with the Dust Devils, but things a little different kind of each time. Year one, he was a starter. Last year, just started as a reliever, but this year was kind of the go-to closer for the Dust Devils. And, you know, he didn't allow an earned run in 22 outings. I mean, what what more can you ask from someone? He gave up three unearned wow. runs, but, you know, Guerrero, Guerrero, another guy, kind of like Munoz, you know, Guerrero's body, he's big, you know, Guerrero's a big man. So you can, you look at him and it's like, okay, it makes sense that this guy can crank it up. And I know he's touched a hundred before, not, not as frequently as a guy like Andres Munoz, but a guy who can still, who has cranked it up, you know, at a time or, you know, a handful of times in his pro career to triple digits on the radar gun. But Guerrero did everything that was asked of him. And then uh, Gene Moser, another guy who was called up, where the Dust Devils have had some success in recent years with guys from smaller schools. I think of a guy like David Bednar. There's probably a couple if I, you know, had a few more minutes to kind of kind of think of some names. But David Bednar, a guy I remember, a um, guy who's drafted out of a smaller school, a D2 school in Pennsylvania, and Moser, uh, very strong, kind of in a long relief role 
for the Dust Devils in his 16 outings before he was promoted. So those guys were interesting. It's kind of interesting to see Carlos Belin back. Belin right. uh, was the Dust everyday third baseman back in 2015. Uh, when he connected with the ball, I'm not sure if some of those have landed yet. But at the same <laughs> point, the same point, you know, he ended up breaking the league strikeout record as well. And I ended up being transitioned from a from a position player to a pitcher. And I think back to Jose Ruiz, who was with the Dust Devils in 2016. And even though he's not with the Padres anymore, I think I just saw it a day or two ago that he got called up to the big leagues this September call-up by the White Sox. And Boleyn, you know, a somewhat similar role. I don't know if he quite, his Wasi might be close, maybe not quite as much as Ruiz, but, you know, kind of within the ballpark. We only saw him a handful of times, but uh, that was a unique one to have a guy like Carlos Blinn come back and to see him have success in this new role after just being so used to seeing him being this third baseman who, you know, maybe struck out a lot, but, boy, when he hit a home run, it was a moonshot. Well, absolutely. Tons and tons of talent. Chris, I want to thank you for coming back on. Chris, you do the broadcast by yourself. All the other broadcasts that I listen to on the radio, the – San Antonio, El Paso, um, Fort Wayne, even, you know, well, Sean McCall does it alone, but you do it alone by yourself up there at Giza Stadium for the Tri-City Dust Devils, and uh, you do a great job. We really appreciate you coming on the pod, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next season. My pleasure. Always always happy to talk about the Dust Devils and all these great Padres prospects that have come through any time. 